I don't often do what I'm about to do, but I'm going to go back and pick up where I left off last Sunday morning, and I'm going to preach a little bit more uh, from uh, the, the second uh, book of Kings in chapter 4. If you were not here, uh, you can get a CD, I'm sure, and you can catch up. But most of you, I think, were here, and I didn't finish. And so that's sometimes good, and that's sometimes bad. Because you're going to have to hear some of it over again this morning. But I do have something new and fresh that I want to share with you that I believe is really the crux of the whole matter. Second Kings chapter 4. I'm going to read beginning with verse number 1. And it said, Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha, saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead, and thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord. The creditor is come to take unto him my two sons to be bondmen. And Elisha said unto her, What shall I do for thee? And tell me, what, thou, what hast thou in the house? And she said, Thine handmaid hath not anything in the house save a pot of oil. Then, she, then he said, Go borrow the vessels abroad of all thy neighbors, even empty vessels. Borrow not a few. And when thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons, and shalt pour out into all those vessels, and thou shalt set aside that which is full. So she went from him and shut the door upon her and her sons who brought the vessels to her, and she poured out. And it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said unto her son, Bring me yet a vessel. He said unto her, There is not a vessel more. And the oil stayed. Verse 7, Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go sell the oil and pay thy debt and live. Amen. Praise God. Aren't you thankful that God has plans for you that involve more than just your survival? Amen. Praise God. Why don't you put your Bibles down and let's just join together in prayer right now. Lord, we come before you again in this wonderful group of people and there, <clears throat> there's nothing that I could say, God, that would really make a difference today, but you, if your presence would move here today and you would minister in this sanctuary, everything would be different. God, would you anoint my mind and my thoughts and anoint our ears that we might receive the word of God, that we might understand what you desire to do. I pray your blessings upon us in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. <clears throat> Praise God. Everybody said, Amen. Come on, make it a little better. Let's say, Amen. Praise God. Clap your hands to the Lord and give him a wonderful praise again. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. God bless you. You may be seated. I 
talked to you last week about surviving or living. And uh, the, the subject, it just kept growing and growing. And the more that I preached to you, the more that it grew in my own spirit and how it resonated with so many of us that are in this building today. I had several that came to me after service and said, Brother Hugh, that's the way I feel. I feel like I've just been in survival mode. I'm just keeping my head above water and I'm just trying to fend off the creditors and all of the debts that are coming due upon my life, not just physically and financially, but emotionally. There's a lot of things that happen in life that we're able to put off payment of for a long time, but at some point in life, payment comes due. And you may avoid it for the present moment, but there comes a time when the creditor comes knocking on your door and they are demanding payment. And so it is in life. And so my goal and my passion, my burden, was to help get some of us out of survival mode. Because God has better things for me than for me merely to survive. I know that there are people that think and believe that living for God is just that. It's just survival. I remember as a child, and perhaps some of you that were raised around a church, you heard them as people would stand and testify, and that's a good reason why we don't have testimony services anymore. But people would stand and testify, and, and they would say things like, if I can only make it in, and uh, if I can just barely scrape through. And so growing up as a child, sometimes my concept of living for God was that it was always a struggle, that it was always an upward journey, that there was never a time when you could relax and sit back and just enjoy the blessings of God, but it was always a challenge. And and for a, a great deal in life, I have found that some of that is true, but not all of that. It is not always an upward journey. There are things about life and living that God does want me to enjoy. One of the most difficult things as a preacher that I find myself having to do is convince people that God really does want to do good to them. For whatever reason, their, their failure, their own mistakes, their own attitudes, their own spirit, somehow they have blocked the hand of God from working in their life and they feel like they don't deserve a, any better life than what they're living. That I, I deserve what I have and I, I deserve what is on me right now. But I want to tell you this morning that God wants more than just survival from your life. God wants you to know how to live. And the story of the widow that we read about in 2 Kings is such a descriptive and telling story of life and humanity. Here is a woman who is having to deal with a debt that was laying over from her husband's days. I don't know what he had done to uh, indenture his family. I don't know 
if he had lived beyond his means, I, I'm not sure what happened, but I do know that once the husband had died, the pressure came from the creditors. It, it was bad enough that she lost her husband, but she now was having to deal with the pressure of, of, of these men who were demanding payment. And I, I talked to you about how life is like a pressure cooker. And I don't know how well I described it, but a pressure cooker operates on the premise of compounded elements to speed up the process of cooking so that you have more than just a fire and heat, but you have steam and you have an enclosed container and all of those things work together to compound and, and, and magnify the cooking process so that you, you cut down on the amount of time that it actually takes to cook something in a pressure cooker. And that's life. Life is like that. It's not one problem at a time. It's not one issue a day, but it's a compounding. It's one thing here and another thing here. You answer one call and hang up and the phone rings and there's another call. And here's one person calling in sick today. And before you can even hang the phone up, it somebody's texting you that they're not going to be in today or somebody else is going to be out of pocket. And that's life. It's just a compounding of issues that continually press upon us and it speeds life up and so we find ourselves many times in situations that we have no control over and we there's nothing that we seem to be able to do about where we are and what's happening in our life and so the woman here she goes to the man of God wisely I will say she goes to the man of God and let me tell you that I'm not preaching this morning so you'll come to me. If you don't view me as a man of God, then you need to find somebody that you do honor and respect as a man of God and be willing to come and listen to what God might be speaking through him to you because God has a man of God for every one of our lives. And so she goes to the man of God. She doesn't go to her friends. She doesn't go to the bar and sit on the stool and drink a Jack Daniels and Coke and try to figure out her problem. She doesn't even go down to the black market and find some crack or something else to shoot up with to help her deal with her problem. She goes to the man of God and she said, this is my problem. Can you tell me what what to do to help me in my situation. And so he said to her, what do you have in the house? She said, I've got a pot of oil. He said, I want you to go borrow vessels and I don't want you to borrow a few. I want you to get everything you can get. And so she goes out, her sons go out, they borrow vessels. I don't know who it was that limited. I don't know who it was that said that's enough, but somebody said it was enough. And so they go into their room. They do what the man of God said. They shut themselves in the room. She takes the oil that she has and she begins to pour it into the vessels. And one filled up and then the next one filled up and then the next one and the next one and the next one until every vessel that they had brought into their home was filled and she was looking for another one to fill. And she said to her sons, are there not any more vessels and they said there are none and the oil stopped flowing when there were no more vessels. So long as there was a vessel 
to be filled, the miraculous flow of oil continued. It only ceased when there were no more jars. And the Lord tells me through that simple story that there are no boundaries to His mercy and His goodness. There are no limitations. Only the limitation that you and I place on Him. Only the amount that we put on Him. God is a God of great things and He is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you ask or think. My friend, if that verse is not true in this Bible, then none of these verses are true. But because that verse is true, every other verse is true. And if He is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that I ask or think, then He is able to take care of my problem this morning. Amen. Our biggest problem is we just limit him. We, we are too quick to draw a line and say, okay, God, that's, that's as big as the miracle, but it is our power to receive that, that will always give out before his power to supply gives out. Don't ever forget that. God will never be short. God will never come up short. He will, he will exceed the requirements. And now he says to her, go sell what you have, pay off your debts, and I want you to live. I want you to enjoy life. I want you to smile again. I I want you to be able to sing again. I don't want you to just live from day to day wondering if you're going to make it. There's going to be enough to take care of your indebtedness. And there's going to be enough to keep you for the future. And that's the kind of God that we serve this morning. He is going to do more than just help me survive this crisis. He's going to do more than help me survive whatever it is that is against me this morning. God said, I want you to live beyond all this. I want you to shout again. I want you to rejoice again. I want you to be able to dance again. I want you to be able to laugh again. I want you to be able to lift your hands joyfully and praise me and thank me because of the abundance of my goodness. Amen. God wants me to do more than survive. He wants me to live. Say that with me. He wants me to live. Amen. I shall live and not die. Those were the words that Jesus sang on the way to Calvary. The song that is mentioned in John and Matthew that was sung was the 118th Psalm. And in the 118th Psalm, the song that Jesus is singing on his way to Gethsemane and ultimately to Calvary, one verse in that Psalm said, I shall live and not die. Folks, I want to tell you that is the best way that I know how to live and face whatever you're going through. Just understand. Devil, give me your best shot. But when you get through, I'm going to get back up and I'm going to keep going. Do whatever you can do against me. But when you get through, I'm still going to be here. I shall live and not die. Praise God. And that's what God wants. And I, I said all that to say this. There are three simple principles that are laid out here that will help people 
move from survival mode to living mode. And they are so simple that they are almost uh, too simple. Because when you hear me and you hear what I am going to say to you, some of you are going to turn me off before you hear what I have to say. But there are three principles that are found in this story that I believe bear to be repeated and understood. Simple principles that if you will engage them in your life, it will move you from surviving and barely getting by and managing the chaos to being on top of that situation and ruling over it rather than it ruling over you. I want to ask somebody here this morning, are any of you tired of issues ruling over your life? Are there any of you here this morning that are tired of problems predominantly ruling the day in your life? Is there anybody here this morning that would say, Brother Hughes, tell me what I can do to get out of survival mode. Are you ready? Number one, if you want to get out of survival living, and I'm talking about just existing, just going about your duties and doing and smiling and putting on your little face and patty-caking for Jesus... If you want to get beyond that, the first thing that you're going to have to do is learn that to get out of survival living, you must give before you get. Now, listen to me. You must give before you get. Now, what makes that so significant is that most people that are in survival mode are in survival thinking. And so they are conscious of everything that is going out. And they monitor everything that is going out. So that when you get in survival mode, you don't go to Starbucks. You don't enjoy and indulge in some of those luxuries because you're trying to guard every penny and, and make sure that every dollar is accounted for because I'm just trying to survive. But this woman learned that in order to get out of her survival living and get back to really living, she had to learn how to give in order to get now, I've already lost some of you because you're not opening that jar of oil that you have in your possession right now. I don't care who's preaching to you. You've got it clamped down, sealed off, and you've got it put away for a rainy day because that's all you've got. And Brother Hughes, if that's gone and when that's gone, that's the problem. If it's gone and when it's gone... That's not what God is trying to show you. It's not going to be gone if you listen and do what His Word commands you to do. God wants you and I to know that what we have has to be used in order for God to multiply. No help will ever come from without that can benefit me unless there is first a willingness to self-help from within. And so giving becomes essential to receiving. 
Jesus said, give and it shall be given. Pressed down, shaken together, running over. He could have easily said, receive and then uh, you, you, you can give. But he set the priority by telling them that if you want to open the door of your life, you have to learn how to become a giver, not a taker. And I'm not talking, some of you are already tight because your, 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 your wallet just shrunk about three digits because you're so afraid I'm fixing to crawl into your back pocket and try to dig something out. You don't want, I'm not even talking about your money. If your life is only caught up in money, you're a small person. My life consists of a whole lot more than that. But the giving has to do with everything in my life. The reason that some people are at odds, the reason that there are fractures in some people's lives is because they have gone into shutdown mode and they're not willing to give anymore. I want to ask you something. A friend of mine was telling me a while back about a, a minister in another state whose wife had passed away and, and, and we were just kind of joking around like we should do sometimes and he said he had he had met the guy's new wife. He had remarried after his first wife had died, and they were just. He said, "I come in in the house," and he said, "Man, I, 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 they were just hugging on one another and and kissing on one another." And they were older people; they weren't young kids. He said they were middle aged like we are. He said, "Now," I, he said, "In my mind, I'm thinking I remember being in this house when you were married to that first wife." And I know you probably loved her, but I don't ever remember seeing you acting toward her like you're acting toward this woman. And I thought, I, I said to this friend of mine, I said, you know, it is strange that somebody that we don't have one ounce of investment in, we don't have one ounce of anything partaking of their life, we will do for them what, but we are unwilling to do for something that has a great investment in our life. Now, I'm not trying to judge that preacher. I don't know. Maybe just new love does that to you. I, maybe, I don't know. I don't want to find out. I'm happy with my first love. But I will tell you this. It's a sad case when I would do with another woman what I'm unwilling to do with this woman that has given me all that she has given me in her life and all that she has done for me. And I'm not talking about just in our marriage. I'm talking about in all of life. It's a sad day when we will do for somebody outside our family something that we would not do for somebody in our family because we're at odds with them. We're in shutdown mode. And we're not giving anything. And you're not going anywhere either. Until you learn how to open that door and learn how to give, you're never going to get. Everybody say, you've got to give before you get. Whatever her problem was, it was not going to go away until she opened that door in her life and she took out what she had and she was willing to give it. And that's the first thing that goes when we get into survival mode. We quit having a giving spirit. We become selfish. We become self-centered. It becomes all about me and all about what I want. And this 
is what has to be broken. We clutch it tightly. When a person is in survival mode, letting go of what they have is usually the last thing on their mind. And yet it's the first command that Jesus or, or that the prophet gave this woman is take what's in your house and Use it, pour it out, give it to those other vessels. The hand that is closed too tightly to give is closed too tightly to receive. Don't ever forget that. If you want anything, if you want to get out of survival living, you're going to have to learn how to get back in the giving mode. You're going to have to learn how to give compliments, give love, give good words, give kindness. You said, Brother Hughes, they don't respond to it. They don't deserve it. We're not talking about what they deserve. We're talking about what you've got to do to get out of survival mode. Now, do you want to get out of it? Or are you wanting to stay in it because you like being pitied more than you like being happy? You've got to give. You've got to be willing to give. Sometimes we can't give money, but we can give ourselves. But whatever, if you want to get out of survival living, you've got to learn how to be a giver. Quit worrying about getting and start giving. Takers will never prosper. It's a law of life. The Bible said it over and over again. You cannot out do God's word. Give and it shall be given. Good measure. Press down, shaking together and running over. You've got to learn how to give if you want to get. How many of you are still interested in getting out of survival mode? How many of you are still interested in getting out of survival mode? God, I want to learn how to be a giver again. I want to learn how to look at life from that giving perspective. I told somebody a while back, we had a guy that used to come to our church and, and um, the church had sent out a letter about uh, an offering that was going to be taken for my wife and I. And uh, this guy was offended by it. And I had no idea the church had sent out. I didn't want an offering anyway. But, uh, you know, it was they were doing it to help us on some kind of conference trip. Or, I don't remember. But the guy... He, he got offended at us and at, at me because he was asked to give. And I didn't ask him to give anything. But I thought, you know what? The reason you are where you are and the reason that you don't have more than you have is because that's the way you look at life. If somebody asks you to give something, you're thinking, well, why do I have to give? Well, what, what, why can't you ask somebody else? It's not about Getting, it's about learning how to give. And when you learn how to open your life and become a giver again, you say, Brother Hughes, I tried that and they just stomped all over me. Just keep giving. Because givers never lose. I promise you, they never lose. Jesus was the greatest of all givers. And there was a point in time when it looked like everything he had given was for naught until he came out of that grave on the third day. Uh, that changed everything. Uh, come on, folks. Listen to me this morning. If you want to get out of survival living, you've got to learn the law of life. And that is to give if you're going to get number two. You have to use what you have in your house. Listen to me. However simple it may be. 
however small it may appear. Use what is in your house and use what is at your disposal. How many times have I had people say to me, Brother Hughes, what difference will it make if I do what you're telling me? I don't know, but until you do it, nothing's going to change. Nothing will change until you use. You can't borrow it from somebody else. It's got to be you. It's got to be what you have. Don't be guilty of not trying because you think you don't have enough or you don't have what it takes or you have nothing to offer. Don't be guilty of thinking that it's not going to change anything. Brother Hughes, if I do it, it's not going to change anything. I promise you this morning that if you will do it, it will make a difference. It will change things in your life if you only learn how to use what is in your house. It may only appear to be a lunch in your hands, but it becomes a feast in His. Praise God. Some of you wrestling with it right now. It's not very much, but that's all God has ever required. Just what you have. It was only a cruise of oil, but it was enough. Use what you have. Number three, and I'm coming to a close. The third principle that I found in this story is that if you want to get out of survival living, you have to begin. You have to begin. And if you will begin... God will finish. Did you hear me? If you will begin, God will finish it. You must begin to do something. There are too many of us that are waiting for God to do something. And God is looking upon us this morning and saying, you do something. You, no matter what your circumstances or situation, if you begin, I promise you God will finish it. At midnight, Paul and Silas, socked away in a prison, beaten within an inch of their life, blood caked on their garments, pieces of flesh hanging from their body from being beaten put back into the deepest part of the Mamertine prison where there's no light, only filth and stench and death everywhere, locked away in chains. And the Bible said, and Paul and Silas at midnight began to sing. They just began to sing, just began to sing. They just looked at one another and Somebody thought of a song and the next thing you know, Paul has broken out in what a day this will be or whatever you could imagine. I don't know what he sang, some psalm probably from, from over in the book of Psalm, but whatever it was, they began. And when they began, God said, hey folks, I can finish this. And so God steps in. 
he puts his hand on the foundation of the prison and he starts shaking the foundation so that every door in the prison flies open. Then somehow, miraculously, all of the shackles fall off of these prisoners. And when the jailer awakens to the chaos, he feels like all of the prisoners have escaped. And so he's about to take his life when Paul cries out, Hey, don't take your life. We're still here. You see, when God gets involved, He's going to do things that will blow your mind. But you've got to begin in order to get to that place where God can blow your mind. Some of us are just waiting on God to come and do that supernatural work. And God said, hey, how about you beginning? Why don't you get out and start walking around those walls that need to come down? How about you doing something about your situation? It may seem simple. It may seem even idiotic and stupid to some people. But when God tells you to do it, do it whatever it may sound like. Because when you begin, God said, that's all I need. I just need you to take a step. And if you'll take a step, that opens a door for me. And I will finish. I will bring that work to pass. I will do what is needed. Let's stand to our feet right now. At the midnight hour, Paul and Silas began to sing praises. They began a step of faith. It was just a simple step. But if you can only understand the words of this preacher, if you cannot begin with a step of faith, then begin with a cry for help. Oh, Mark chapter 10 verse 47. And when he heard that it was Jesus Bartimaeus, the blind man sitting by the roadside, right sitting there in the passageway of the Lord, the Bible said when he heard that it was Jesus, listen, he began to cry out. He didn't have enough faith to stand up. All he could do was just cry out. But when he began to cry out, God stepped in. God finished the work. When Peter recalled the outpouring of the Holy Ghost on Cornelius' house in Acts chapter 11 and verse number 15, this is what he said. He said, and as I began to speak, as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell. I wonder this morning if perhaps could, could it be possible that a move of the Holy Ghost is awaiting you beginning. Just starting, just opening your mouth, just taking that step, just lifting your voice. Could it be that a move of God is awaiting Someone this morning that would dare to lift up their voice and begin to cry out to Him. Could it be the release of the Holy Ghost in your life is awaiting you opening your mouth? When He began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell. That's what God promises that He can do is that if you will begin, I'll finish it. I just want you to take that first step. I just want you to make some kind of movement. And if you'll at least make an effort, that's all I need. 
That's all I need. Just take a step. And when he took a step, then God stepped in. Over and over and over and over. It's repeated in the Word of God. Over and over and over, you find the same story being played out. When the lepers that were outside the gates of Samaria that were dying said, you know what, we're going to perish if we stay here. Let's go throw our self to the hands of the Midian. Maybe they'll save us. If they do, we live. If they don't, we're going to die anyway. And so the Bible said they got up and they began to walk. And when they began to walk, God sent a host of angels. And it was at first just the sound of four lepers shuffling along that dusty road. But the next thing you know, there's a whole host of angels. And all of those guys that were inside the gates, all of those men that were inside, the Bible said they heard a sound like an army coming. And they said, oh man, the tide has turned. What happened? Somebody began and God finished. A turnaround, a turnaround in a person's life begins when you begin. When you step out. Restoration begins when you begin. The prodigal son, all he did was just start home. He never got home. He never made it to the house on his own. When he was a long way off, his father saw him. And he came running to where he was. And he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. And right there transformed him on that road before he ever ushered him. You see, God's not going to make you walk that road alone. God's not going to make you journey all the way that down that path by yourself. If you'll just start, if you'll just take, you say, Brother Hughes, I don't know what to do. Just start. Just begin. Just step out. Just get, just head toward an altar. Head toward a rendezvous with God. Make up in your mind that I am going to take that step. Whatever it is that I've got to take, I'm going to take that step. I'm going to make that effort. And if you will begin, God will finish it. The first step is always the hardest one. It's the one your mind pleads with you not to take because you may not get what you want. It may not turn out the way the preacher said. You've done this before and it didn't work. I'm here to tell you, if you'll step out, God will step in. If you'll just begin, God will finish I promise you this morning that if you will simply begin, you are going to like the outcome. Amen. A turnaround is in the making this morning. God's wanting to get some of us out of that survival mode, that survival thinking, that mentality of just getting by. God said, I want to I bless your life. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to do for you that... It's going to blow your mind what God's going to be able to do in your life. I I want to prophesy that to somebody this morning. I'm not here just beating the air, and I'm certainly not here trying to preach you a cute little sermon. I'm trying to deliver a word from God, and God's word to somebody is, if you'll begin, I'll finish it. If you'll just step out, if you'll just go ahead, take that step of faith. If you can't do that, 
cry of faith. Whatever it is, you just make an effort. At least begin. Get started. Start home today. You may not make it all the way home because I have a feeling before you ever get anywhere close to home, He's going to be there waiting on you. Amen. Come on, let's lift our hands to Him right now. All over the building. God, right now. Hallelujah. God, somebody here right now is trying to get out of that survival mind. That survival.